Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity we have to come and study the word again. Lord, may you please draw close to us. Bless us with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Speak to our hearts is our earnest plea and prayer, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, we are studying, starting a new series entitled The Early Kings from Saul all the way to Solomon. And so this is our new series. We've just finished our, our previous series there. Thank you for continuing to join us. And our study for today is entitled Israel and the Judges. As we get into this new series, we're, we're going to begin in the book of Judges. As Moses, he's already brought the children of Israel out of Egypt all the way to the borders of Canaan. Joshua has taken over leadership and brought them into the land of Canaan. They've been conquering. The conquest is not yet finished, but the, the, the land has already been divided up into the 12 tribes already. And we're looking at the background here because it's important to understand what is it that led the children of Israel eventually to ask for a king. You see, here in the book of Judges, they are ruled by judges. There is a figurehead, but definitely not like what a king would be at all. And so we read in the conclusion, really, in the book of Joshua, just to get a background to the judges, in Joshua 24 and verse 31, the Bible says, And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that overlived Joshua, and which had known all the works of the Lord that he had done for Israel. You see, the Israelites were faithful to God so long as Joshua was alive. All the days of his life and even the elders that served under Joshua, the children of Israel were faithful. And this is repeated also in the book of Judges. In Judges chapter 2 and verse 7, we read, And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. So, sorry, the Bible text there on the screen shows Joshua, but it's actually Judges chapter 2 and verse 7. The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. So it's very clear the sentiment is given that the children of Israel were faithful during the days of Joshua and during the elders who outlived Joshua that were still alive until they passed away. But what would happen after all these great faithful men of old passed away. What do we see taking place? Judges chapter 2 verses 11 and 12. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods of the gods of the people that were round about them and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. So it's not long after Joshua dies that the children of Israel and even the elders as they pass away, the children of Israel, they go and do evil. They go and worship other gods. And how does God respond? When he sees them turn away from him and when they break the covenant that they made with them as, as something that they entered into voluntarily, now they've broken that pact, that covenant. How does God respond? In Judges chapter 2 and verse 14, we read, And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, 
and he delivered them into the hands of spoilers that spoiled them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies round about, so that they could not any longer stand before the enemies. So God would let them be overcome by the surrounding nations. They would go into captivity. They would be sold to their enemies, and the defense that God had been to them had departed from them because they forsook Him, and so He stopped defending them and protecting them. He stopped being their constant shield and strength. And and why? Because they voluntarily walked away from Him, and so why did He feel any obligation and need to protect them? And so they would go into captivity, they would become slaves to the enemies of the surrounding nations of which they were meant to conquer. And then, what would happen next? God would not leave them and forsake them forever. You see, we read in Judges chapter 2, 16, Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges, which delivered them out of the hand of those that spoiled them. So God, he would raise up deliverers, people that they were called judges, to deliver them from the hands of the enemy, to, to lead them back to the worship of God and help them to be faithful, hence the book Judges, and they would fight for them. And Israel would come up and be prosperous again. And then what do we read next? Verse 18. And when the Lord raised them up, judges, then the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For it repented the Lord because of their groanings by reason of them that oppressed them and vexed them. So what was the reason that God sent the judges? Because when they were oppressed by their enemies, they would realize how difficult life was, how how the blessings of God had, had really been so sweet to them and they despised it. And so they would cry out to God. They would ask God for help. They would ask God for deliverance and God would always reply. He would always hear their cries and when they cried out for help, God would send a judge. But what would happen as soon as the judge dies? Let's keep reading. Judges 2 verse 19, And it came to pass, when the judge was dead, that they returned and corrupted themselves more than their fathers in following other gods to serve them and to bow down unto them. And they ceased not from their own doings nor from their stubborn way. Do you see that, friends? As soon as the judge dies, as soon as that faithful judge passes away, they would turn back to their old sins. They would begin to worship other gods again. It was almost as if their faithfulness depended upon the person that stood before them and not on any of the faith that they had in their hearts for God at all. You see, if there was someone faithful to lead them, then they would be faithful to God. But as soon as that person that was faithful to God dies, and there was no one to lead them anymore, they would be unfaithful and go and worship other gods. And we see this as a theme running throughout the whole book of Judges. The the whole book of Judges is just this constant cycle that we see. You see, when there is a judge ruling over them that's faithful, the children of Israel are faithful. But as soon as the judge dies, and as soon as this person dies that's been leading them, they are unfaithful and they go and worship other gods. And then as a result, God would um, sell them into captivity. He would not be with them. The enemies of God would come and conquer them and they would be slaves and serve other people. And as a result, they were groaning, they were crying out, they're, they're, they're unhappy about their situation. They cry out to God and guess what? God hears them and sends a judge to deliver them. And of course, 
all the days that that judge is alive, he or she is faithful to God, then the children of Israel are faithful to God. But as soon as the judge dies, the whole cycle repeats over and over again. And friends, we see this whole theme running throughout the whole book of Judges. And this is an important backdrop for this new study series before we look at the early kings where Saul coming into king. But let us look at a few examples in the book of Judges about this whole cycle just repeating itself over and over again. It's what I call the spiritual rat race. And so let's go now to Judges chapter 3 and verse 7. Judges chapter 3 and verse 7. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and forget their God, and served Balaam and the groves. There's the children of Israel. And they are doing evil again. They forgot God. So what happens next? Judges chapter 3 and verse 8. Therefore the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of Chushan Rishathathathim, king of Mesopotamia. And the children of Israel served this king for eight years. So the children of Israel are sold into bondage to this, the king of Mesopotamia for eight years. Why? Because the children of Israel have left God. God leaves protecting them. And so they're in bondage. And what happens next? Let's keep reading. Judges chapter 3 and verse 9. And when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer to the children of Israel, who delivered them even Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. So God sends a deliverer. That deliverer is the younger brother of Caleb. And what happens next? Judges chapter 3 and verse 10. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel and went out to war. And the Lord delivered the king of Mesopotamia into his hand, and his hand prevailed against him. So Othniel goes out to fight against the king of Mesopotamia. And guess what? God gives them the victory. God delivers them. They are no longer in bondage to this king of Mesopotamia. But what happens next? Let's keep reading Judges chapter 3, 11 to 14. And the land had rest 40 years, and Othniel the son of Kenaz died. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon the king of Moab against Israel, because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. And he gathered unto the children of unto him the children of Ammon and Amalek, and went out and smote Israel, and possessed the city of palm trees. So the children of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, eighteen years. So as soon as this faithful judge dies, what happens? The Israelites, they go back to serve other gods, and so God sells them into bondage again. Do you see this whole process? It repeats itself over and over and over again. They're in bondage. They cry out to God. God sends them a judge, and that judge fights for them and delivers them, and they're faithful as long as this judge is alive. But as soon as the judge dies, all the faithfulness just departs from the children of Israel, and they go and chase after evil and start worshiping other gods. And go. so God sends them into bondage again, And guess what? When they're in bondage, they cry out to God again. And this whole process just keeps repeating itself over 
and over again. Let's look at a few more examples, shall we? Judges chapter 3 and verse 15. But when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised them up a deliverer. Ehud, the son of Gerah, a Benjamite, a man left-handed, and by him the children of Israel sent a present unto Eglon, the king of Moab. So the children of Israel, they cry out again to God. God again sends another judge, Ehud, and he would begin to deliver the children of Israel out of their land, a hand of bondage. And then we read in Judges chapter 3 now and verse 30. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest for 80 years. But what happens next? Judges chapter 4 verses 1 to 3. When Ehud was dead, the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who dwelt in Harosheth, Hagoyim. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, for Jabin had 900 chariots of iron, and for 20 years he had harshly oppressed the children of Israel. God would sell them back into captivity again. And while they're being oppressed, God, I mean, they cry out to God again, and yes, God would deliver them again. Let's keep looking at a few more examples, okay? Let's now go to Judges chapter 6 and verse 1. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. So here you go. The Israelites are being wicked again, and God would deliver them into the hand of the Midianites, and for seven years, they would be serving the Midianites. And then, let's keep reading. What, what do you guess happens next, right? What do you think would happen next? Judges chapter 6 and verse 7. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites. And so there you go, they're crying out to God again. And of course, God would send a judge while they're under oppression. He would send another judge to be with them. Judges chapter 6 verse 11. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was in Orpah, that pertained unto Joash the Abia's right. And his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. God would call Gideon, one of the more famous judges in the book of Judges. And he is that one that would fight against the Midianites with only 300 men and prevail and God would give them the victory. He is more one of the more prominent characters in the book of Judges. There is more description given to him. He is not the most prominent in the book of Judges, but he is one of the more famous ones. And of course, what would happen after Gideon dies. You take a guess, but let's read. Judges chapter 8 and verses 33 and 34. And it came to pass as soon as Gideon was dead, that the children of Israel turned again and went a whoring after Balaam and made Baalbarith their god. And the children of Israel remembered not the Lord their God, who had delivered them out of the hands of all their enemies on every side. As soon as Gideon dies, the children of Israel once again would turn back to their wicked ways and this constant, constant cycle just keeps repeating itself over and over again. Let's now go to another example. Judges chapter 10 verses 6 and 7. 
And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam and Ashtaroth and the gods of Syria and the gods of Zidon and the gods of Moab and the gods of the children of Ammon and the gods of the Philistines and forsook the Lord and served not him. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them into the hands of the Philistines and into the hands of the children of Ammon. So once again, the Israelites would do evil again. They're sold into the hands of the other nations. Once again, they would go into bondage. They just never learned their lesson. And you must think, wow, they must be so blind. They must be so hard-hearted. But you know, friends, the human heart is no different, even though it's thousands of years later. We are just like them. We are just as rebellious. We are just, many of us, we're just faithful to, to, to people and not to God. We're faithful to, I mean, we're faithful to God as long as that person is alive. But as soon as that person disappears, we haven't learned to develop a, a strong and loving relationship with God. And so that person who, who, who exhorted us and, and kept us faithful to God, the, the voice is just not in our hearts and in our ears and in our minds anymore. And so many of us, we turn away. And of course, let's keep reading what happens. Judges chapter 10 and verse 10. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, saying, We have sinned against thee both, because we have forsaken our God, and they and also served Balaam. So they cry out to God. What happens next? Judges chapter 11 and verse 1. Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor, and he was a son of a harlot, and Gilead begat Jephthah. God sends Jephthah, who will judge them and fight for them. And you know, these characters are are really nice to study. And and this is not the point of our our, uh, our series and our study for for tonight. But you can go and look at the other sermons that we have on on the YouTube channel there. Um, As we've gone through Hebrews 11, um, they have all the, the characters listed out there. And so you can even go to eventproductions.com and under there, it has all the studies that we have on Hebrews 11. And many of them are found here in the book of Judges. Jephthah is one of them as well. Anyways, continuing in Judges chapter 12 and verse 7, what do we read? And Jephthah judged Israel six years. Then he died and was buried in one of the cities of Gilead. He dies and we know what is going to happen next now by now, right? Judges 13 verse 1, And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines 40 years. But who would God send next? Judges chapter 13 verses 2 to 5, And there was a certain man of Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and bare not, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman and said unto her, Behold now, thou art barren and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive and bear a son. Now therefore beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine nor strong drink, and eat not any unclean thing. For lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come on his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand 
of the Philistines. Although the name is not mentioned here, really this man who would come up to judge Israel again, well, not again, for the first time, he is the most famous of all the judges in the book of Judges, and that is Samson, the strongest man that ever lived physically, but one of the most weakest men that would ever live morally. You know, I've decided not to go through all these judges, as I said. We can study them in great detail um, in the other studies, but we just see this constant cycle taking place throughout the whole book of Judges, and it just goes round and round and round until we come to this sad conclusion at the very end of the book. You see, in Judges chapter 17 and verse 6, this is what we read. In those days, there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. You see that? There was no one there to guide the Israelites, and so they just did whatever they thought was right. They just did whatever they wanted because there was no man to guide them. But friends, that's a fallacy. We've got to be so careful that we do not follow a man or a woman to establish our faith. We also read here in Judges 21 and 25, in those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. There was no leader, no one to lead the Israelites. Everyone was just doing whatever they wanted, whatever they thought was right. And needless to say, it was not a good ending because people, even though they thought they were doing what was right, it was far from being the right thing. It was wickedness. They were worshiping other gods. And you know, friends, the problem was just repeated over and over again. Leaders would arise, judges would arise to lead the children of Israel, but no sooner had they passed away that the people would would return back to their wicked ways. What was the problem? They were following a person and not God. They were too used to focusing on a person to stand up to lead them instead of allowing God to lead them and in those times of faithfulness to actually develop a deeper relationship with Christ. So often, many times, we're like that as well. We go to church, and maybe because we go because of our parents, we grow up habitually going to church, and or, or we go with friends that have, have been pulling us and dragging us and calling us. But as soon as we move away from home to, to a new place for, for study or for work, many of us, we stop going to church. We stop participating. We stop being faithful because our friends or our family are not around. We've left this environment of safety and security. We've come out and we realize that our faith was based upon our friends or our family. And you know, many people, they come up to me and say, oh, pastor, when I'm home, I'm not like this at all. Oh, I get involved in church activities. I do this and I do that. And we like to tell people about our past faithfulness, not realizing that we have no faith at all. Our focus is on the people. And we haven't learned to make God our foundation learning to read the Bible each and every day, spending time with God personally, even also in prayer. And you know, friends, church, it can have a lot of activities. We we can get used to going to church and and doing things and getting involved in in socials and even participating in church worship service. But that itself does not build our relationship with God. That does not build our faith. It does not make us faithful. But what does, friends? What is it 
that does make us faithful. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Friends, we have to look to Jesus. We must have him as our foundation. He must be our all in all. He must become our judge, our deliverer, and our savior, and most of all, our constant companion and friend. Jesus must stand in the place of any human judge today, of any friend that helps us to be faithful. You see, in Romans chapter 11 and verse 26, the Bible says, And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, There shall come out of Zion the deliverer that shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Jesus, he must be our deliverer in the time of trouble. And distress. We must learn to call on him. We, we, we must learn to cry out to him. As we've seen, even in the book of Judges, every single time the children of Israel reached out and cried to God, and every time they came back in repentance, guess what? God didn't say, I don't believe you. I don't believe that you really changed. I don't want to help you because every time you only come to me when you want help. No, God was not like that. Every single time the children of Israel cried out and reached out to God, God would answer. God was a merciful God. He was a gracious God. He didn't say, you see, you keep turning away from me. I have no faith in you anymore that you're going to change. No, he was ready. He was waiting. He was just saying, son, daughter, just say the word. Just say the word and I'll be there. You see, friends, God, he doesn't hold grudges. He doesn't get upset. He doesn't feel like we use him. No. Anytime our cries are sincere and we're crying for help, God will be there, not only as a deliverer, but what else must Jesus be? You see, in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1, the Bible says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. You see, friends, Christ must also be our judge. He must be the head of our lives. He must be our leader in the home. He must be the one who will guide us and lead us throughout all the decisions in life, in our studies and in our work, in everything. He must be number one. He must be our God. He must be our king. Whatever it is, friends, he must hold that number one position. And so, friends, today, we're left with a choice to make. But it's not a decision of a lifetime. It's a decision that we must make every single day when we wake up, that we would make Christ our all in all, that we would make him our number one, that we would commit fully our lives to him, that we would ask him to take charge of our will and our mind, that he would give us the power to make the right decisions, to help us to be faithful when others are not that even though others might be following a human being, that we would be following God. You see, the Israelites said to Moses that all that God has said, we will do it and we will be obedient. 
And they repeated the same words to Joshua as well when he took over the mantle of leadership. They said everything that God has said, we will do it and we will obey. But at the end, they would apostatize and turn away from the faith that they first believed in and that they committed to. They forgot to commit their ways to God each and every day. That commitment is like a marriage. Just because you hold your wife and her hands and you're looking into their eyes and and you're full of love and you say, I do, it doesn't guarantee that your marriage is going to be successful for your whole life. Even though you really meant it with all your heart on that very day, right? There will be troubles. There will be trials that will come in to test the mettle of your, your relationship and your love for each other. And unless you are committing to each other every single day, unless you are communicating with each other, unless you're building your love for each other and spending time with each other every single day, time will pull you apart. And so often we we go to church, we make these decisions. Yes, I want to be faithful. You hear this rousing sermon. And then throughout the week, we're not spending time with God. We forget. And we're not deepening our love and our relationship with God. And so we forget. And time, it erases the decisions that we make. It makes us to be unfaithful. And when the trials come in, instead of running to God, we run to the gods of this world. We put someone else in the position of God, whether it's another human being, whether it's something to escape our reality and the trials that we're going through, it's games or drugs or sex or whatever it is, our passion and our pride, it pushes us to do something else and to find something else for the solution of our problems rather than seeking God. And so friends, let's, not make, sure, let's make sure we do not repeat the mistakes of the past. Let's make sure that we commit ourselves to God each and every day. Let's make sure to spend the time in the Word of God. Because so often we read the Bible and say, ah, we're not like the children of Israel. We're not like them that went through the desert and they complained, but yet we complain. And then we come to the book of Judges now. We say, no, we're not like the children of Israel. Ah, they just follow a man. And every time someone is faithful, then they're faithful. Every time someone turns away and they're unfaithful or the judge dies, then they become unfaithful. Ah, we're not like that. No, 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 we're smarter than that. God's given us the word. But then... It happens to us. We fall away. We backslide. We leave God. We forget about Him. We forget to make a daily commitment to God. And sometimes once a day is not even enough, friends. Not sometimes. It absolutely is not. Daniel committed his life to God three times a day. David would pray five times a day. Why? He knew the sort of temptations and troubles that would come to him as a king with all the power that he had. Daniel knew that as a prime minister, he needed help. His life was comfortable now. Things were going well. He was no longer considered just a prisoner in captivity and a slave. No, he was the prime minister of the most powerful nation in the world at that time, even Joseph. And these people, as they stood high, they knew that the winds would blow stronger. And so they needed a deeper devotion with God as well. And so, friends, the higher the building, the deeper must our roots be. And the more often we must come to the throne of grace and mercy to find help in time of need. And so, friends, that's what we need, even now, even today. Whenever you're listening to this, we need to come to God and commit our way again to Him. What will it be, friends? 
what will it be? Will you make that decision? Not just now, but be reminded. If you have to put an alarm to say, pray, be it on your phone or your watch or whatever it is, that we might be reminded to be faithful to God. Let's do that now. Let's make sure we commit our ways to God each and every day, each and every hour, as often as we can to make sure that He is our constant companion and friend in everything, that we would not turn our hearts away to serve other gods and to commit evil after we've committed our lives to Him. May God help us and remind us constantly to do that. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, you are always so willing and ready to be with us, to be there for us, to guide us, to bless us, to protect us. But so often, Lord, we've run away. We've walked away like the prodigal son. We've done our own thing. But yet, you're still ready. You're waiting for us to turn our hearts and our lives back to you. You're just waiting for us to make that decision. And Lord, please, be with my brothers and sisters who are listening. Help us that we might turn our hearts, our lives, and our faces back towards you today. And I know, Lord, that you're ready to bind up the wounds that we have caused upon our own selves. You're ready to forgive. You're ready to heal. You're ready to empower us to live for you. Lord, please, help us to that end that we might not keep repeating the same sins and mistakes of Israel of old. This is our earnest plea and prayer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.